Okay, so today's topic is um, canon law. It's one people ask for. Let us pray for our catechumens. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so today's topic is canon law. Um, I'm not going to write it on the board. So, here's, here's, I think, let me see if I can get this to work. Um, stop, stop, before you do that. Stop. Here we go. Okay, so, let me get this over here. And, close that. There we go. Okay. So this is most people's impression of what canon law is. One of my favorite movies, especially for this scene. What movie is it? Beckett. What are they singing? DSE Ray. DSE When do we sing that? Funeral, Funeral Mass. Requiem Mass. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, it's a little fuzzy because the, the video isn't very really good. But... Once Richard Burton kicks in, it'll be fine. <laughs>
Okay. <clears throat> Pretty powerful scene. Uh, the story there is that Lord Gilbert was... Uh, uh, there were two sets of courts, and this is not one of the things we'll actually talk about. Um, one for clergy and one for everybody else. And so a clergyman couldn't be tried in the king's court. He had to be tried in a church court. And so Lord Gilbert seized this priest and tried him in his own court and put him to death, which then makes the church look bad. And it actually takes away from the church's dignity. So um, anyway, Beckett excommunicates Lord Gilbert. The king is not pleased um, and, and ends up three nights end up murdering Thomas of Beckett in Canterbury Cathedral. Um, he is one of the few... Uh, we don't have any post-schism saints from the West, but if we did, I think he would qualify. But that um, was the Church of England? That was No, it was the Roman Catholic Church at the time. This was Henry II, not Henry, who was way before Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. So they were still, <coughs> they were actually part of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. This is about 1200, <coughs> where the split took place about 1054. Um, it actually took place over a, a couple hundred years, um, but yeah. So it's post-schism, but pre-Reformation. All right. So, in fact, the shrine of Thomas of Becket was destroyed during the Reformation. Um, that was in Canterbury Cathedral. So that's kind of a lot of people's idea of canon law. It's this thing that's used to punish people. Oh, you wicked, wicked person. We're going to cut you off from communion. We're going to make you anathema, right? Um, that's not what canon law is about. So... Um, what are some different kinds of, of law that exist in the world? What are the two most common that we're used to dealing with? Civil. Civil and? Federal. Criminal. Criminal, right? Civil and criminal, right? You go downtown, there's, there's the civil courts building, there's the criminal courts building, right? You have civil attorneys, you have criminal attorneys, okay? But there are other kinds of law that we, we don't encounter as often, perhaps. For example, um, there's admiralty law, which deals with uh, ships on the sea. There is chancery law, which is the law of corporations, right? And, of course, there's canon law. Uh, what does canon mean when we say the word canon with one end? Oh, well, with two ends, not three. Anybody know? Canon comes from the Greek kanon, which means uh, a measuring stick or, or a straight, straight rod, okay? Um... And, and we use it in three instances. We use it to describe canon law. We use it to describe the canon of scripture, for example. And then we also use it, there is an office in, um, like the Church of England, called canon. It's a person who has various duties, sometimes having to do with disciplinary measures. Um, so, uh, what is canon law? So I've got a couple other little videos here. These are both Roman Catholic videos. The first one's kind of simple. The second one is a little bit higher level, but they're both short. And so, come on. Close out of that YouTube screen. Well, that's oh yeah, I gotta I gotta un undo that, and then I can do. I want to know what the eight things are. You should never do a blackjack table. <laughs> Don't start with me, because I, I go down those rabbit holes. It's very scary. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let me get this over here. Oh, 
colloquially canon lawyer is what they're called. So that was the one definition I wanted to get out of this. Um, the, it's, so canon law is the norms of the church for collaboration to assure mutual sharing of gifts. Okay, so what does that mean? Does everyone in here have the same gifts? No. Um, so instead of being congregationalists, for example, where all the rules are set within that congregation. And usually in a congregation, who sets them? The pastor. The pastor, right? Who reports only to the deacons, right? The board of deacons, like in a Baptist church. Um, instead of just being set by him and being whatever he wants them to be, right? Um, as long as the deacons agree with him, then, you know, canon law provides a uniform set of norms across the church. Okay, so there's two different approaches. Now, we talked about where does canon law come from? And, and they mentioned that it grows or grew organically over the centuries. Um, in week five, you can go back and listen to that one too, uh, we discussed how we are a church of councils. Okay, so there are local councils, there are regional councils, and there are ecumenical councils. They have been through the history of the church. Okay, so um, what is binding in one local council is not necessarily binding in another local council, right? So the rules that are set by our holy synod, for example, for the Antiochian archdiocese, aren't necessarily binding on the Greek archdiocese, right? So, for example, the Greek archdiocese has what they call the UPR, the Uniform Parish Regulations. Do our Antiochian parishes have to abide by the UPR? No, because we're not part of the Greek Archdiocese. On the other hand, there are canons set at the ecumenical council level. Do we all have to follow those? Those do, yeah. Yeah. So there's different levels of, of law, just like you mentioned earlier. You know, There's local law, there's federal law, and there's you know, state law, and there's federal law, right? So if you're building a dam in Texas versus a building in, uh, one in Wyoming, there's going to be different regulations, right? Depending on the state and, and the locality, all right? So um, there are various levels of canon law, depending on where you are and who, which, where, you know, which bishop you're under and who you're serving. And, you know, Bishop Basil has different regulations for our diocese than, for example, Bishop John does in Worcester, right? Uh, dealing with specific liturgical practices and things like that. But they both fall under the Antiochian Archdiocese, and so those rules then would apply to, to, to both dioceses. Okay?
Now, there's two approaches to canon law. Um, and you don't have to remember these words, but, but one is cataphatic, which means positive, and one is apophatic, which means negative. Okay, so what do we mean by positive and negative? Positive means, um, like a positive law is one that has been enacted by a legislature or a, a lawmaking body. Okay, so the Latin church, and I specifically say the Latin church because the Eastern Catholic churches are even separate from them on this matter. But the Latin church, the Church of the West, took a cataphatic approach, a positive approach, okay? So they've had, you know, we are the church of seven ecumenical councils. Well, they claim they've had 20, okay? They count Vatican II and Vatican I as ecumenical councils, even though they just affected Rome, right? So what their approach is, is they, the positive approach is to try to look and see what possible situations could arise and come up with regulations in anticipation of that might happen. So, for example, the, the book that I told you, I pointed out, the, blue, the green book behind him, is the Code of Canon Law for the Roman Catholic Church, Codex Juris Canonici. Okay? In there, there are, there are regulations down to things like what happens if the priest takes communion and then throws up. What does happen? Yeah. What? No, but what happens? There are regulations covering that. Do you know what they are? They're they're not they're not they're not to be. I mean, they're not good before lunch. Yeah. So, but there's but that's what they've tried to anticipate. They've tried to anticipate any possible thing happening, and then write laws based on it, right? Regulations. So that's the cataphatic approach. Now, as as you know, obviously, as time goes on, we're able to anticipate different things. Like they said, um, the law, canon law has grown organically, both in East and West. Okay? So in the West, they're constantly coming up with, you know, a hundred years ago, they wouldn't have been able to figure out anything about computers, right? There wouldn't have been no regulations, <coughs> things of that nature. So, um, but the Latin Church has the oldest continuously functioning legal system in the West. Before countries, before anybody else, there was canon law in the West, right? And this was important. The, the reason Beckett was upset, right, this, the law of the Church was separate from that of the law of the land. One, it was older, and two, it was universal. So the canon law of the church applied whether you were in England, France, Germany, wherever, right? As long as it was in the Roman church, okay? So for a king who had a newer law to come in and try to usurp that was a bad thing, okay? So until, for example, the English Reformation, you had these two separate systems of justice. One for, how many of you ever heard of, of like, uh, they were, in France they were called the Estates General? So, like, they'll refer to reporters, for example, as the fourth estate. Well, there wasn't really a fourth estate. There were three estates. The first estate was the clergy. Second estate was the noble nobility, the king and the nobles. And the third estate was everybody else. Right? So, each of those had different systems of justice. 
right? So the first, somebody in the first estate, so for example, when I was ordained, technically I moved from being the third estate to the first estate, right? So if I lived back then, from now on, I would no longer be tried in, in a, a regular court, I would be tried in a church court, okay? Church has its own prisons, its own lawyers, its own judges, its own, you know, they call the prisons monasteries a lot of times because that was the sentence, and still is to this day, actually. Um, you'll find that a lot of Roman Catholic clergy are sent to pastoral centers, i.e. therapy centers, or something like that, to exercise their ministry. But they're really basically, you'll be there for the rest of your life. Okay? Um, so, uh, but... So the, the Roman Catholic Church had everything that a modern, mature system of law had, and still has. It had lawyers, courts, judges, punishments, things of that nature, okay? So, um, they first began to codify this law, to bring it together, and uh, there was a, a monk called Gratian in the 11th century. And he wrote kind of the first collection of canon law in the West. Um... Today, there are actual degrees that you can get um, in canon law in the West. The JC, the there's a bachelor, licentiate, and doctorate of canon law. Um, some clergy in the Roman Catholic Church uh, are required to have at least a licentiate in canon law to do certain jobs. So if they're a canon judge, basically, they have to have at least a JCL to do that. That would make sense, right? It's like a lawyer having an LLD. Right, you know, doctor of laws, even though technically that's a master's level degree, they still call it doctor. Um, but you don't call a lawyer doctor normally. Um, on the other hand, the canon law of the Orthodox Church is apophatic, negative in nature. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, it's reactionary, exactly. We don't anticipate, we react. Okay. So the, co the, the, the collection of canon law in the Orthodox Church <coughs> is a collection of the decisions that were made when various situations arose, okay? Whether on a local level, a regional level, or a universal level, okay? Ecumenical, universal, right? So um, because of that... Uh, they can sometimes be contradictory, right? Like I said, for example, the Greek archdiocese may have different rules than the Antiochian archdiocese because they reacted differently to certain situations, okay? So when it comes time for a new situation, what do we do? We take a look, it's, it's like case law, right? It's almost like everything is an appeals court. We look at all the law that's out there and say, okay, based on what's already out there, then we're gonna make this decision, all right? Um, the first collection of canon law in the East was John Scholasticus in the 6th century. Um, in the 8th century, Emperor Heraclius. In the 9th century, Patriarch Photius, who is a controversial figure. Um, but uh, he had an interesting... He was... He was back then, uh, they, would, they would trade patriarchs a lot, depending on who was in power. You may see these two terms. Now I'm going to write these down. There's papo, papo, I think I'm spelling this right, Caesarism, and 
Thesauro Papism. Okay. What do these mean? Have you ever, anybody ever seen the movie Agon, The Agony and the Ecstasy? It's about Michelangelo. I think uh, um, Charlton Heston plays Michelangelo. But he goes out to see the Pope. Where is the Pope? Well, the Pope is out in the field commanding troops. He's in full armor. Right? In the West, in the East, you had opposite situations. In the West, when the, when the, Roman, the Western Roman Empire fell, the only stable institution at that point became the church. Okay? So the church began to intrude on and take over civil matters. So that's why you still have a Vatican City. Right? It's the last remnants of the papal states. States that were ruled by the church and by the pope, not as pope, but as king, basically, or prince. Okay? Um, it's only in the 60s that they did away with the papal tiara, which was a three set of three crowns that the Pope would wear. Okay, and it met, and it was his his three authorities: uh, temporal, civil, and and um, heavenly. I think, right? So, but but you know, the 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 Pope in the West was Papal Caesarism. He was a Pope who became Caesar. All right. In the East, you had the opposite problem. You had the emperors intruding on the business of the church. So they would swap out patriarchs of Constantinople whenever they felt like it. Okay? So Photius, for example, was a layman who was very popular with one faction. And when his faction came to power, within a matter of like two days, he went from being a layman to patriarch of Constantinople. Almost like Beckett. Beckett went from being a deacon to Archbishop of Canterbury, like that, you know, like in two days. Okay, um, then he was deposed later, and then he was reinstated. And, you know, based on who was in power. So here in the East, you had the power, the problem of emperors imposing in, in themselves on the church. Okay, so we still have that today. Some went in, oh, I don't know, Russia. Um, where the church and the and the and the state are like that. Still? No. Oh, Putin and, and Kirill are best friends. Yeah. Kirill didn't make a move without Putin no better. Um the OCA here actually was set up as a KGB operation, that is what some people will tell you. Wow. Honestly, there the some of the divisions that remain in the American church are because especially from the the Eastern European countries. So like the OCA has an Albanian diocese, but yet there's also an Albanian Orthodox Church that's that here, and some of it is collaborators versus non-collaborators. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's going to be a long time to sort those out. Um, so then our current collection that we work off of is known as the Pedalion, which means the rudder. Why would it be called the rudder? It steers the ship. It steers the ship. Right? And the ship is what? The Ark of Salvation, the church. So the pedalion is the rudder. It's what's supposed to steer us through, through troubled waters. Okay? Because it is a compilation, like I said, sometimes it can be contradictory. You'll read one thing on one page and go, 
And then read another thing on another page and go, wait a second, those two don't match. Like reading Proverbs. Yeah, funny how that works. But it's different things at different times and in different places and different responses. You know, one, one example is um, how we receive converts. That practice has changed over time and from place to place. Some places required rebaptism. Some places said, no, nah, you're good, come on in. We do chrismation, okay? Our current practice in our archdiocese is chrismation. Okay? As long as you've been baptized. As long as, as, long as, you, as long as we have, we determine you've had a proper baptism. Okay? So, um... I have a question. Yes. So, one of the points about the Orthodox Church is that it's the church that Christ left us and it's unchanging. How does, or that's what I've been told. So, where does the changing start? And if that, if... Do you understand what I'm trying to... Okay, so the church is a paradox. Okay. The church, by its nature, is perfect. Why? Because of this body of Christ. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it's made up of imperfect human beings like you and me. And we change. And we... So, so one of the differences is, for example, in some churches, like the Church of, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as they prefer to be called, they don't like to call Mormons anymore. They actually believe in continuing revelation. They believe the truth can change. Okay? One of the biggest examples of this was they used to think that black skin was the mark of Cain. And blacks could not be clergy, or the equivalent of clergy, in the Mormon church. <laughs> New revelation. All of a sudden that got unpopular. Like in the 80s? Uh, late 60s, I think, yeah. Oh. 1978, there we go, split the difference. <laughs> so, um, New Revelation, okay, uh, straight out of Utah. Okay, we don't believe that. Now, we may have different understandings of the truth, but the truth itself does not change. And so, for example, um, Paul wrote that one, if one's a slave, one should be a good slave, right? Well, now, wait, what do we say? Well, you shouldn't have slaves, Right? Um, and keep in mind, slavery back then was a far different institution than what we think of as slavery in, in you know, 1850s and 1860s, you know, uh, United States. So, you know, as the world changes, our, our response to it sometimes changes, but it's all based on the same truth. So the faith of the Orthodox Church has not changed. But the expression of that faith through canon law will change because the world itself is changing. Right. I've heard it said that Orthodox Church is the keeper of the faith. Here, yeah. Right. And and one of the differences is in Western churches, the way you make your name as a theologian is to innovate, come up with something new. Right. In the Orthodox Church, the way that you make your name is make sure nobody else changes anything. Right. Because you look at the prophets. Um, you know the prophets. What were they? What were they? Stoned for and 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 uh, cursed for and everything else. They were cured because they kept telling the truth, the unchanging truth of God. You know, God does not want you worshiping these idols. No, no, it's okay. These are different idols than what he was talking about before. No, no, it's not. Whack, whack, whack. <laughs> All right. What are our, yes? So this must be the paradox part. Okay. But if that's true, that, um, that canon law is our changing response to circumstances, but the unchanging... 
I don't think I'm saying this right, but you know, I mean, it's the, difficult to say. I know, but this is the last place, the last church, where we um, we don't have gay marriage. I mean, the Romans don't, but that's coming for them. And we don't have um, we don't have female deacons or priests. Mm -hmm. But if that is true, and we can change canon law, then that could happen. Theoretically. Right. And, then and that's be been that's one of the, that's one of the subjects of debate is which truths are immutable and which aren't. So like maybe the creed. The creed is immutable, yeah. right? We don't change the creed, and that's why we got ran at Rome because Rome changed the creed without us agreeing to it. I mean, that's one of the things we're mad at, at Rome about. Um, so, so there are there uh, there are scholars who would ask. Um, is the is the male only priesthood one of those immutable truths, Father? And there are Orthodox scholars who who have written and are writing about that. Okay. There have been female deacons. There have been deaconesses, but what they what the way they served is they were they did not serve at the altar like a male deacon did. What they did what they were useful for was baptisms. Because how were baptisms done? In the nude. In the nude. Really? Oh yeah. Um, so you didn't want male deacons back there messing with the female catechumens, right? So you had deaconesses that would assist with that. Okay, how many how many of y'all have ever taken communion in an Eastern church? Okay, how do they do it? I had to do it for the first time myself this this past weekend with a spoon, with a spoon right? Oh, that must have been tricky, right? It is tricky. Well, because you take it and you yeah, you got to get it in there. Right? And you can't spill it. And what happens if you do like this down some décolletage? <laughs> somebody's got happen? somebody's got to dig it out. Oh, and there's got to And be... it better not be the priest. Whoa. Yeah. So that's when it's good to have like a nun or a deaconess who can go assist with something like that. Now keep in mind there also were there were offices of uh, widows. There were offices of virgins. There were you know various offices. Of, of those who had dedicated their life to Christ. I mean, we could start a whole chapter, sadly, here of widows, you know. But would that um, take an ecumenical council? Because they're not going to stop. The social justice warriors never, ever stop. And they're always trying to get the women, you know, the foot in the door, the wedge. Well, actually, uh, the, the Patriarch of Alexandria, Patriarchate of Alexandria, claims that they made a couple women deaconesses. <clears throat> but that's they're not really accepted by because what what drives things in the Orthodox Church consensus okay that's why Ukraine and Ukraine is such a big deal because there's no consensus on what happened there with the with the new church and everything else okay that was one you know when we were in the Episcopal Church um, you know when, when I was growing up we did not have women priests what happened. There was a bishop who ordained some illegally, right? And instead of all the rest of the Anglican Church saying, no, you shouldn't have done that, they just went back and retroactively made it legal. Well, that was one, we, you know, that was one of the things that led to us leaving. Not, not because, that, you know, we had anything against women, but because there's no consensus in the Anglican Church. There is no collegiality in the Anglican Church. There's no sense of communion in the Anglican Church. Common union is, is what communion means. Okay? The reason we don't allow people to come and take communion in our church, in the Orthodox Church, is because we're not sure they believe what we believe. Okay? 
So if we don't all believe the same thing, we, we're not in communion. For the Orthodox Church, communion is the, the last sign of unity, not a step toward unity. And a lot of Protestant churches, especially in the ecumenical movement, oh, well, let's all just take communion together. Why? How can you do that? You're not in, you're not in communion. You don't believe the same things. Oh, well, we'll just gloss over that. Well, that's the problem. We don't gloss over stuff. Jesus did the first communion with his disciples. With his disciples. And they were all in communion. Yeah. Yeah. So... That, you know, communion for us is, that's why, for example, in the Ukraine, the first thing that broke was communion, right? And it's the last to be healed. When did that happen? That was uh, a few months ago. I don't, what, what okay, so what happened was, um, you know, how as, comp- as countries became independent from Russia, uh-huh. um, the churches also wanted to be independent. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's been three competing churches in the Ukraine. Two that are, are independent and one that is still tied to Russia. Okay? So the technically the Russian church is considered the canonical church. Um, so what the ecumenical patriarchate did was he recognized one of the uh, independent churches as being the church of the Ukraine, um, exercising his what he what he claims is his authority to do so. Of course, Moscow, Antioch, and everybody else disagreed with him. And said, you really should have consulted us before you did this. And so Moscow broke communion with with Constantinople. Now, we broke communion with Jerusalem a while back because Jerusalem set up a church in our territory. You don't do that. They set up a bishop in our territory. It was over in the Middle East. So that still hasn't been resolved. Because what happened was... Jerusalem made a bad move. We said, hey, you can't do that. We negotiated a settlement. And then Jerusalem broke the settlement. We negotiated this. You agreed to it. Nope, nope, not anymore. So, does that answer? (laughs) It's a good start. It's a good start. (laughs) There is no real good answer. I mean, it's about as good an answer as I can give you off the top of my head, but... And I'm sure, the, and theolo- that is one of the deep theological questions, you know, is what what is truth and what are the levels of truth? Yes, sir. So grab the things there. I think like the, you own the place or something. <laughs> no. But it's like your classroom or something. Jeez. No, I'm a nomad. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, something and Aaron will take over now and teach about. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> okay, so, one quick thing. Okay, so we're only seven minutes overdue. Um, well, hi, Wilson. All right, Wilson. After we're done. Wilson, we're almost done. Wilson, go around there. Gotta wait. Thanks, sir. So, one, one quick concept I want to cover. Um... There are two words that you will hear in the Orthodox Church. Akrivia and economia. Okay? They have to do with canon law. They have to do with a pastoral response to various situations. Okay? Akrivia means the strictness of, of the law. And economia means a loosening of the law. Okay? So, for example, 
According to canon law, if you kill somebody, even accidentally, uh, the pastoral response is that one abstains from communion for 20 years. Okay? So if the, if the, if the bishop or, or, or priest said, I'm, I'm sticking with Aclevia, so you will be out of communion for 20 years. Then come back. Now, that assumes that you still come to church every Sunday for 20 years, but you can't take communion. But say it was an accident, say it was definitely not your fault, you, were, you, know, you feel very bad about it, they might show some economia. Okay? And say, okay, maybe only ten. Um, technically, according to Akrivia, when 200 of us were chrismated uh, in the Orthodox Church in 1992 to form this parish, um, every single marriage should have been individually blessed. Right? So we would have had a line out the door. So according to the principles of Konomia, Bishop Basil said, you know what? The chrismation's going to cover that. So when you bring this marriage in and you're both chrismated, then everything's okay. We don't have to do a separate ceremony blessing that marriage. Okay? So that's an example of Konomia. It's a lessening of the period. That's, but sometimes, sometimes they may say, you know what? 20 years just isn't, isn't going to be doing, you know, I can see that you're not really repentant about this, so let's make it 25. That would be akrivia. But it would also, it would actually be technically economia because it can go either way. It's a loosening one way of making it strict or loosening of making it more lenient. But so you'll hear those two terms, akrivia, which means strictness, and economia, which means a loosening. Usually it's a lessening, usually. Okay. Um, so when are you going to encounter canon law? Now, obviously, I will encounter it more, much more often than anybody else. Why? Because now I'm clergy. I have to deal with it. Most people, the only time they ever really deal with canon law is having to do with marriage. Specifically, remarriage. And there are different procedures in different dioceses, in different archdioceses. In the Greek archdiocese, every metropolis has, if you want to get re remarried, um, they have to issue a church divorce for the first marriage. We don't do annulments, very rarely. We don't, we're not pretending that the marriage never occurred, even though you got five kids sitting there. Um, but you know, there's a church court, and it's usually three priests, and they'll say, okay, yeah, you're good to go um, for remarriage, okay? Uh, in our archdiocese, you send $200 to Englewood, New Jersey, and they have a court that meets up there, and they sign off on it. So it's all done out of Englewood for us. But that's usually the only time people run into canon law, unless unless something really strange happens and you have to deal with priests, and then he has to go rely on canon law in terms of figuring out how to fix the thing. Okay. Any questions? Too much? Too little? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good? Okay. I'll leave this list up here if you want to take a picture. And uh, we can do some review. Like I said, if you do review one of these topics and you still have questions, let me know. I'll be glad to cover it. So, other than that, thanks for coming. Yeah.